At a time when information continues to come at us faster and faster, sometimes you need to hit pause and rewind. NPR's Throughline takes you back in time to the source of the news stories filling your feed. Find NPR's Throughline wherever you get your podcasts. In the latest episode of Vamos Verde, we are going to talk to one of the most prolific goal scorers in Major League Soccer history, Austin FC striker Giassi Zardes. We also talked to some folks who have been bringing the soundtrack to Austin's nightlife for over 20 years and are now providing the soundtrack at Q2 Stadium, their official DJ collective, Peligrosa. That's the latest episode of Vamos Verde. Out now, wherever you get your podcasts. From the University of Texas at Austin, KUT Radio. This is In Black America. It's a company. We, we ended up working with them. We did a, um, a show called Good Kid. It had been a while that me and Pella had been talking about doing a podcast because we were like, you know what? We have a, There's not a lot of people out there talking about things as a couple, you know, raising marriage to be something strong, raising a family and talk about things like that as a couple and growing a business together and also challenging challenging society on social issues. And so we were like, you know, we should do a podcast. But we just kind of let some time pass. We kind of talked about it a couple of times, but then we ended up doing that show. And after the show, they were like, you guys are so good. You should do a podcast. And we were like, okay, let's do one. And, and so we just took it from there, really. Michael Bennett, former NFL defensive lineman and Super Bowl champion, activist, author, and co-host of Mouthpiece. Also, Bennett is the New York Times best-selling author of Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. He and his wife, Haley, run the Bennett Foundation with their children. Together, on their new podcast, the couple explores personal and provocative topics ranging from love, parenting, the NFL, and politics. Bennett sees mouthpiece as another way of showing the impact that he and his wife has made beyond football. Prior to mouthpiece, the Bennett's had worked with Lemonade only once. On the network's third original podcast, Good Kids, How Not to Raise an A-Hole. Since being picked up by the Seattle Seahawks as an undrafted rookie in 2009, Bennett has had a long and lucrative career. Highlighted by three Pro Bowl nominations and a Super Bowl title with the Seahawks in 2013. I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and welcome to another edition of In Black America. On this week's program, Mouthpiece with Michael and Paley Bennett in Black America. We've just completed 11 years in the NFL. That was always a learning lesson. Each year, I personally started to evolve and grow, and our family started growing. You know, we went from one to now we have three girls. And so each year, it's still a curveball. It's almost like when you get pregnant again, and, and you're like, oh, I have a baby, but you have to start all over again. And so each year is different. And for us, because we did travel to different cities, and this last year, we were in two cities for the first time in one season. And so there was a lot of growth, I think, that happened between our, our marriage, you know, our relationship. 
and then also our children. All of us um, really had to tackle so many different obstacles. But I think through all the adversity that we've been through throughout the years of ups and downs and just kind of learning the game and how do you balance, you know, life with children and still Mm -hmm. having your me time and self-care. I think that it continues to evolve. And and sometimes when you think you got it, then you learn something else and it keeps getting better, I will say. So I appreciate everything that has come with football, even though it has been stressful. But um, it has, we've learned, um, I think we've to say, to be honest, now we've really been good at being balanced as a family and we're getting better and better. Paley Bennett, wife of NFL defensive lineman Michael Bennett. Pele is a superstar in her own right. She is a food advocate and has a passion for gardening. She's also a skilled Polynesian dancer. Together, the Bennett's have taken on everything from racial justice work to authoring a children's book to parenting three daughters. Have I mentioned they also were high school sweethearts? On their new podcast produced by Lemonade Media, Heard every Friday, titled Mouthpiece. The Bennett invite listeners and their guests into their professional and private lives to take on topics provocative and personal, from sitting out the national anthem to keeping their romance fresh. The conversation managed to be all things at once hilarious, inquisitive, and unfiltered. The podcast is designed to appeal not only to football fans, but also other married couples. Recently, and I use that word loosely, in Black America spoke with the Bennett's from Hawaii Public Radio. Aloha. Aloha. Uh, Aloha. (laughs) I understand. He's working on it. For those who are not familiar with you, Michael, give us a little background about yourself, where you're born and raised. I'm originally from uh, Louisiana, um, but I kind of grew up between Texas and Louisiana, went went to college at Texas A&M. Uh, end up playing for the Seattle Seahawks, and that's pretty much my journey. Did you run through Dallas for a while? I mean, I played for the Cowboys, but I don't know if that's a if that's a people want to hear that because a lot of people <laughs> hate the Cowboys. <laughs> like you say, you play either you say you play for the Cowboys and they love you, or you say you play for the Cowboys and you, you get punched in the stomach. Either one, so I understand. Pele, could you tell us about yourself? Yes, I am Pele Bennett. I am from Houston, Texas, um, but I'm a descent from Polynesia, specifically the Samoan Islands. And me and Michael both have a foundation, the Bennett Foundation, where we work on building communities through health, food, nutrition. And how did you all meet? We actually met in high school in Houston. And who made the first move, Michael or you? Now you know, you I'm know a gentleman. It was I'm a gentleman. I waited. I waited. She. I was holding out. She just kept trying so hard. I oh, was like, "Here we go." Let me give her an opportunity. Oh. So. Is it like? Is it like that? <laughs> yeah. So that's what happened. So you all met in high school, and how long did it take you all to, to get married? Eight years. Eight years. Yeah. It took, I mean, we were so young. Okay. I was fifteen when I first met him. So yeah, it was a good, good while before we actually. Eight years. Got married. Michael, when did you know that you had a, a special gift playing football? It's, it was my mama said uh, when I was in her belly. That I used to always run inside of her stomach. So I guess it started when I was a baby. No, nah, I'm joking. <laughs> nah, I think it really started in Louisiana. I think I really found, like, I feel like I played football some time away in California. But I feel like when I moved to Louisiana and I was like a city boy in the country and I was able to compete in, that, in my grandpa's uh, yard with the rest of the boys from all over the, the town and I feel like oh I've, I'm competing out here so I feel like that's kind of when I knew 
Um, I had some talent. I used to love playing football back home in Louisiana so much. I feel like that's where I kind of found my passion for it. And when you were in high school, what position did you play? Is the same position that you uh, played in the pros and at A&M? No, actually, I played running back my whole – really, I played running back all the way up until 11th grade. Like, I never played defense. I was just on offense. I mean, offense, I was always running back. So, and then I, I got so tall, they was like, man, and you, <laughs> you don't know if you want to play running back. You I was too. just going <laughs> to say that. Your body is not a running back body. Yeah, and I got tall all of a sudden, like, after one summer. And then it was like, oh, play, you want to play defensive end? They was like, oh, you play running back, so you got, like, good feet and all that kind of stuff. So I was like, let me try it. And then it turned out to be a good good decision. Valet, what were some of your favorite uh, activities while you were in high school? In high school, I dabbled in sports. I did play um, softball. I was actually on the flag team, which a lot of people make fun of me, but I, that was a really fun experience. Um, but I also grew up, my family, as for work, we had a Polynesian show so I grew up dancing Polynesian um, performances and we traveled all over the U.S. doing that so that was actually an activity that I did a lot uh, in high school. So when you all got married where did you all settle? Were you in Seattle at that time uh, Pele and Michael? No we were actually Michael was with the Buccaneers at that time and we were living in Florida. So did you all like Tampa? Uh, yeah. You know what? I heard it has changed a lot, and it's a happening place now. But um, uh-huh. at the time, I mean, we were just there for work, so everything really um, evolved around his career at that time, and we were really new into the NFL as well. Did uh, Selma still had a barbecue place while you all there in, in Tampa? Who Leroy Selman? Yeah, Leroy. Oh man, Leroy Selman! I used to love them barbecue wings <laughs> and that bread. <laughs> I mean, you couldn't I, miss Leroy. Enough. I look. You couldn't miss it because it was on the way to the stadium. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know, Louie, Dewey, Stewie, Cooey, they had that's all right. types of brothers, Louie, the uh the Selman brothers. They were so good. They were so good at football. And but uh they that uh them barbecue wings though, me and Gerald McCoy used to do like twenty five each. Like I was just I used to love going Leroy Selman. So it was, it was, we used to go there all the time. Tell me about the uh Bennett Foundation, Pele. Yes, yeah, so we started our foundation um, actually out of Hawaii when we moved here. And uh, Michael actually came up with the idea because he saw an issue in Hawaii um, for different um, nutrition programs and physical education. And so he wanted to tackle it, and he brought it home to me with this idea. And we found the most amazing people to just kind of talk about issues on health and wellness and we started more so on the physical side of it, on how can we incorporate different programs and more education for the young you know, students, because a lot of the schools at that time didn't have that a part of their curriculum. And so we got amazing people together and we formed the Bennett Foundation, which now is still running. Um, we are going into our sixth year and we're still fighting the same issues and you know, being food advocates and talking about health and nutrition. And now our girls are along with us. Um, some of our closest friends, you know, we've made through our foundation and a lot of communities, um, you know, I feel that we have made impact, but also they've made, you know, larger impacts on us, I think, to be honest. Has it been difficult for others to buy into you all's vision uh, for the foundation? Yeah, I think so. I think sometimes when you move to places like or you helping in Hawaii, like people ask the question, why? Why are you doing this? So I think it takes a lot of times for people to understand why somebody wants to have kindness and give back without asking for anything in return. So, you know, it's almost like they feel like a little red riding hood. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, like they feel like eventually there's a wolf that's going to come out. But at mm-hmm. the end of the day, 
It was really just about us loving the community and giving back in a positive fashion. But it usually takes time for people to build an organic relationship, which we understood because you just don't pop up and people start loving you, especially when they don't know who you are as a, who you are as an individual, what your family represent, and what is your foundation and principles built on as a as a collective as a family. So. Uh, it takes it takes some time, but we've gotten to the point where we feel like we've kind of made some headway here, Seattle, Houston. We've done a lot of things across America just for different sects of people. While you were playing, was it a mindset of always thinking about what are you going to do after football? Or it was uh, always I think it was a balance process. of that. I think it was a balance of that. I think sometimes in football you can't think about the future too, mu- too mm-hmm. much because you can't be in the present in the game. It's like if you think about if you get injured, before the game, then you think about it's like you can't think about what's happening in front of you. So as a fighter, you always want to be able to defend yourself, and you got to be there mentally. So I think on the off season, a lot of people think about what they're gonna do. That's when you mostly think about mm-hmm. life after football. You really don't think about during the season because during the season, there's so many things happening. You got family, you got games, you got all these different things, massages, all these different things. You really don't have time to plan for the future. You're just trying to really trying to conquer that one moment. Pele, how do you go about navigating time? Uh, with the family, but also understanding that, you know, Michael, you know, had a job playing football and, and trying to balance the two. So, you know what, I think as I, we continued, you know, we've just completed 11 years in the NFL. That was always a learning lesson. Mm-hmm. And I think each year I personally started to evolve and grow and our family started growing. You know, we went from one to now we have three girls. And so each year it's still a curveball. It's almost like when you get pregnant again and, and you're like, oh, I have a baby, but you have to start all over again. And so each year is different. And for us, because we did travel to different cities and this last year we were in two cities for the first time in one season. And so there was a lot of growth, I think, that happened between our our marriage, you know, our relationship, and then also our children. All of us um, really had to tackle so many different obstacles. But I think through all the adversity that we've been through throughout the years of ups and downs and just kind of learning the game and how do you balance, you know, life with children and still Mm -hmm. having your me time and self-care, I think that it continues to evolve. And and sometimes when you think you got it, then you learn something else. And it keeps getting better, I will say. So I appreciate everything that has come with football, even though it has been stressful. But um, it has, we've learned, um, I think we to say, to be honest, now we've really been good at being balanced as a family. I mean, we're getting better and better. Now, I have some friends who are former football players, and they wives that told me there's a hierarchy within each team depending on the status of the player. Is, is that so the case? I think that's in every fact of life. <laughs> that's there's, some a, gossip there's, now. <laughs> there's a hierarchy in everything. I think the longer, I think the players who've been in the NFL. It's really not. It's really not a hierarchy. It's, it's really just a respect. I think when people mm-hmm. look at players who's played a long time in the NFL, they have a lot of respect for them because when a person's played in the NFL for a long time, that means you watch them for a long time. Okay. And in the moment that you're in the locker room with them, you get in. You become an awe, and you become like, oh, okay, like this is you. You see what type of man they are, and I think a lot of times it's just a lot of respect. I understand. This is in Black America. We'll be back with more of our conversation in a moment. KUT's AT Explained is back with a brand new season. Our first episode, what's up with that tower in Clarksville? I've heard it called the Clarksville Eiffel Tower, the tower, the leaning tower of Clarksville, all those names. Subscribe to AT Explained wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget our next AT Explained live show at the Paramount Theater on April 3rd. 
brand new stories told live on stage. Get your tickets at austintheater.org. Support for ATXplained Live comes from Meals on Wheels Central Texas and World Interiors. If you're just joining us, I'm Johnny O'Hanson Jr. and you're listening to In Black America from KUT Radio. And we're speaking with Michael and Pele Bennett with Lemonade Media and the podcast Mouthpiece. How did you all come up with Lemonade Media? Oh, it's a company. We we end up working with them. We did a, um, a show called Good Kid. Mm-hmm. And it had been a while that me and Pele had been talking about doing a podcast because we were like, you know what? We have a, there's not a lot of people out there talking about things as a couple, you know, raising marriage to be something strong, raising a family and talk about things like that as a couple and growing a business together and also challenging challenging society on social issues and so we were like you know we should do a podcast but we just kind of let some time pass we kind of talked about it a couple of times but then we end up doing that show and after the show they were like you guys are so good you should do a podcast and we were like okay let's do one and <laughs> and so we just took it from there really how do you all decide to come up with a program podcast topic or you all just start talking and, and one thing leads to another a lot of times that does happen <laughs> one thing leads to another but not with guests though with guests i think it's pretty much we are picking the people that we feel like we want to share information mm-hmm. with, things that we don't even know, but also things that other people don't know that they can get help on or they can have a better understanding of what's happening in their community or what's happening in society. So we choose a lot of guests by that. Like we talk about the different issues with race, police, things that was happening in the NFL, things that's happening within marriage, um, cooking, chef. Like, so we talk about a lot of different things and we, we kind of just pick topics that we're really passionate about. And things that we really want to understand. Things we want to highlight as well and people we want to highlight that people might not know that's relevant. Their work is relevant today, but themselves personally are not relevant today. So we like to recycle and go back and bring them back to light and let them tell their story. I'm looking at some of the podcasts that have already aired, and I'm going to go through some of them and hope you all speak to it. Crock-Pot Love, what what was that about? That was really about the essence of being in a relationship and understanding that love and everything doesn't come instant. Mm-hmm. It takes a crock pot. Like you have to simmer and throw in different things that have happened in your relationship. And at the end of all that bubbling, at the end it takes a long time to make something really strong. Mm-hmm. In this generation where things have to be instant, if you don't get it, instant gratification, then you move on, you feel wrong. And with love, you can't do that because there's going to be some highs, there's going to be some lows, there's going to be some trauma, there's going to be some death, there's going to be all types of things that shape a relationship. And when you have a crock pot, you you slowly throw different ingredients in. And in love, all the different ingredients happen at different times. I understand. Go ahead, Pele. Oh, no, I I was agreeing with Michael because it is when we say crockpot, when you're talking about throwing ingredients, you're talking about throwing in cities, right? Moving around. You're talking about children. I was going to say mother-in-laws, (laughs) father-in-laws, family. You know, it's just those ups and downs. But I think because a lot of people see that we've been together as children, they say, oh, you guys have been together so long. (laughs) You know, you've lasted. It's been great. But that, to me, to be honest, was harder to be together um, as a young couple because Mm -hmm. now we're so young and we're evolving into adults. But now how do we let each other evolve into an adult and learn these new things that we didn't know each other liked, you know, and it's as simple as that. But it was, I think, it was a journey for us to really learn and together. And it's not as easy as it looks. It is as easy as it looks. Don't me believe that, people. (laughs) No, I'm joking. But it's an oxtail because we were talking about oxtail, Oxtail, you know, making uh some great Jamaican oxtail. You put in you put in all the ingredients and you have to cook that oxtail for so long to make it that gravy. The southern charm. So, you know, we like we think we like to think that oxtails is the type of love that we want to be. Oxtails are tough. 
Penley, you you brought up a point about moving. What was that like moving from city to city? You have to take the girls out of school, and I would assume if it happened close to the beginning of the season, the moving part fell on you. You are correct. <laughs> no, that is correct because of his job. You know, the first time we moved, we were in Seattle, and we had just got settled for about two weeks. Mm-hmm. And Michael got a call and said, "Hey, I think I'm going to be picked up by another team." And, I, you know, we're still new to this. So I said, okay, that's fine. And he, I said, when do you find out? And he goes, within an hour or two. <laughs> the hour or two came, and he goes, I got the call. I said, what's going on? He was like, I'm going to the Buccaneers. And at that time, for me, you know, I'm like, what? what's a Buccaneer? That's a long yeah. commute from Seattle yes. to Tampa Bay. We went across the nation. And I said, when are you leaving? And he goes, well, I'm leaving tonight. And so it's as instant as that, as not your world is turned upside down, but it mm-hmm. is because you – you're thrown into that unknown, and now it's like, okay, planning. It's like survival mode at that at that moment because you're like, okay, what do I do? We just moved into a place. We have so many things, and that time we already had a daughter. And so everything gets flipped, so you just got to go. And I think that's where I learned in the beginning is that, like, these curveballs are thrown at you. Mm-hmm. And it's to be honest, it's not – I can't dwell on it. Like, you just got to go. You got you to gotta go. And so you got to come up with that next plan. And so I will um, say that we have been lucky to be in two cities for, you know, a good amount of years. We were in Tampa for four, in Seattle for five. So only within the last two years did we really bounce around. So I really have to commend the other families that are doing this on a regular basis that, you know, I thought I understood, but now I truly understand, and it's a lot of work. Have you all addressed the divisiveness that's been going on in the country? Uh, for the last couple of years or maybe longer as part of you all's podcast on Mouthpiece? Yeah, we talk about everything. That's what I was saying. That's what I was saying with so much things going on in America. And as a couple, there's not a lot of people talking about it. As a, as a, And finding out, and the thing about, I like about our show is that we most of the time we don't always agree on the outcome of an issue or how the issue should look, but we do understand that the things should change. And so we, we address all that. We address the presidency. We address racism within the workplace racism within the nfl racism around the world and gender equality with women so we we talk about a lot of things that are happening in america and raising our kids in this society what does it look like when school violence is high or like all these different things and the depression of in of, of society so we talk about all that stuff i think that's what we want to be an unfiltered vulnerable conversation within but ourselves also to know that within a marriage we because we want to highlight being married is that it's okay to have those conversations in the house you know a lot of times people say oh no i can't talk about that with my mm-hmm. husband or my wife her family their family you know so many people have these strong beliefs and religious backgrounds and so many different things that come into play but i think for michael and i we love to have those debates or conversations within our house and i think that's what's beautiful about doing that within a marriage is that Yes, you're not going to agree um, in so many ways, but at the end of the day, you still love each other. You're going to keep moving forward. And also you have children now. So a lot of those issues um, roll over into conversations that we have with our daughters. And our oldest is 13. So she's at an age where she does understand what's going on. And she's also very curious as well. She has a lot of questions, you know, a lot of thoughts, opinions, emotions. And so we re- keep that really clear as we can have this open dialogue within our home, within our marriage, and to let people know that it's okay to have that. You know, you can still live and, you know, live together and things will still happen for you. <laughs> Can you give me an example, maybe about five minutes of a topic? If I pick the topic, you all can have a brief discussion on it. Yeah. DWI and drinking. Okay. I mean, for us, DWIs, it gets personal because there's a lot of people who get DWIs and there's people who are affected by the person who wants to drink and drive. I think that's the thing that when you see so many people that have 
trauma from somebody who has a DWI, not only somebody having a drinking issue, but also the possibility of there being a wreck with somebody who's just innocent. And every time I think about DUI, I just think about negligence of somebody else's. Like you could be driving and somebody else could be drinking and you have nothing to do with the drinking Mm -hmm. and you end up dying. I was watching this thing on CNN and these four mothers, these two mothers and their three daughters were going on a volleyball trip and they were just driving at five o'clock and then somebody drove off the road in a DWI and and just killed them. And Mm -hmm. it's like, they were just having their normal day, doing everything right. And then you could be impaired and make one mistake and, and ruin somebody's whole life. Yeah, I think that's important to have conversations within your home and having that support system where you have people holding you accountable to say, hey, slow down or hey, stop or I'm seeing something. But I think it also triggers different ways because it does trigger emotions through drinking. Mm-hmm. You know, like you said, trauma through drinking. So there's so many different aspects. You do have to notice that. So I think it's important to have people that hold you accountable, that call you out, that notice these things but that you can also lean on when you need that support but it's almost like too it's like why put yourself in a situation that could change your whole life like just get uber people get uber five dollar uber ride will save you a life in prison five dollar uber ride will stop you from trauma five uber ride will keep you from having will keep you having a driver's license just use uber whatever it takes it's too easy now but sometimes to, that is easier said than done also. Yeah, because everybody feels like I'm a better drink. I'm a better driver when I'm drunk. Oh, yeah. I know a lot of people <laughs> personally that have said I'm a really good driver while I'm drunk because I'm so focused. People out there, if you're listening to the show today, download some type of app. I know a long time ago you would have never get in the car with a stranger. It sounds like a scary movie, which black people, this would be the part where black people <laughs> die in the movie, where they would get in the car and then the guy would kill them. But now it's it's cool to get in somebody's car. Could but you imagine is, that? But that actually is an issue also. In it. And there has been issues in it. It's being dangerous um, to go in cars like that. But I'm saying, did you picture growing up? You know, so it's like you're kind of fighting all these different battles. Did you picture growing up that you would like be in a like get in a strange car with a strange person and give them your home address? Oh, definitely not. (laughs) Especially if you're intoxicated. Yeah, so you you still gotta be careful too. But at the same time, be responsible when you're driving. Don't let one of your mistakes ruin your life. I mean, be supportive to a friend and almost be responsible for them also. Good friends don't let friends drive home drunk i know that's right what is special about living in hawaii oh where do we start i think it's i think for me growing up watching my wife's culture you know as Mm -hmm. an african-american person you kind of don't have a lot of the pieces to your history your dance your music your sound i mean there's pieces but it's not in the hole where you could just take it in and understand everything that's happened or things about the culture but with the polynesian it's been so long and so seeing that and seeing the culture, how it is, you kind of just you kind of it kind of sweeps you up with love kind of. And you kind of it kind of embraces you. And I think when you come to Hawaii, you see it in full flesh. You see the sense of Ohana. You see all these different things, the culture of Polynesia. And I saw a long time growing up and, and it's beautiful. I was going to say we were together, you know, during high school. And so I was already performing and both my parents are from Samoa. And so. Hawaii was always such a distant place, you know, but we kept the culture so strong within our family through dancing, performing, food, traditions. And so Michael, during high school, you know, he got to see me perform and he was over when we had large family get togethers. We had them every Sunday. So we had Polynesian food and Mm -hmm. music. And so I think he did already get a little taste of that. But then when we were able to come to Hawaii together as a family with our um, oldest daughter, it was a completely different change. And I think what he's seen there, he really felt even more being in Hawaii. So there is a sense of uh, community and love. 
you feel it, it's a different vibe. And I think that's what kind of hit him when he's, he came here the first time. He goes, okay, Pele, one day I'm going to move here. And I said, okay, Michael, we'll see. And it happened. So how has the podcast reception been thus far? I think it's been great. I think mm-hmm. podcasting is a thing that you really don't understand how much time is. I guess you, when you do radio, you kind of understand the amount mm-hmm. of work that you put in. But for us, I, I we you don't realize how much work you have to do podcasting, editing, doing all these different things. So I think it's been that part's been has been good though. It's a lot of work, but it's also <laughs> been good being able to work with my wife on something. I think is for a long period of time has been we've been doing separate things and it's like nice to be able to come to work and have stuff to talk about. But then I also think the podcast has been picked up very well. I think people were expecting it just to be heavy sports. They weren't expecting it to be about real, real issues. When you all got together, you said you all homeschooled girls to allow you all the flexibility to, to do what you all do. So we actually just started homeschool this last school year. Mm-hmm. So they're in the second semester now. Yeah. And- yeah, we use an online program, so it kind of works. Other than the flexibility, what do you all enjoy about homeschooling versus sending them off to, you know, a public school or, or private school? You know, I, I will say to have to know this, that the kids are there literally at home and feeling that safety and feeling that bubble of, you know, safetyness and warmth that they're within arm's reach. You know, just being protective with everything going on in the world and everything's happening. Um, for me, it's really to be protective of them. And I know I can grab them or hug them, kiss them. You know, they're right there within arm's reach for me. That's important. Michael, I also understand that you're a novelist. You wrote a novel, Things That Make White People Uncomfortable. Yeah. <laughs> it's a what interesting were, book. <laughs> <laughs> what were you stating in that book? I was just talking about the state of politics in America and the history of police violence, the history of athletics in NCAA, and trauma that happens to players when they play in the NFL and things that can happen to them after. And also talking about my relationship with my wife and, and my children and how how important it is for men to be able to have emotions and break down these emotional barriers so they can be able to love properly. Michael Bennett, former NFL defensive lineman and Super Bowl champion, activist, author, and co-host of Mouthpiece. If you have questions, comments, or suggestions as to future In Black America programs, Email us at inblackamerica at kut.org. Also, let us know what radio station you heard is over. Remember to like us on Facebook and to follow us on Twitter. The views and opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of this station or of the University of Texas at Austin. You can hear previous programs online at kut.org. Until we have the opportunity again for technical producer David Alvarez, I'm Johnny L. Hansen Jr. Thank you for joining us today. Please join us again next week. CD copies of this program are available and may be purchased by writing In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. That's In Black America CDs, KUT Radio, 300 West Dean Keaton Boulevard, Austin, Texas, 78712. This has been a production of KUT Radio. In Black America and KUT Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters helping to bring diversity to the airwaves. You can find more shows like In Black America in the NPR Network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm John L. Hansen, Jr.
Did brain games really make me smarter? What is all this screen time doing to my brain? How do I protect my brain as I age? Find the answers to life's most and least pressing questions about your mind with the Two Guys on Your Head podcast. Check it out wherever you get your podcasts.